Good afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. I trust everybody's doing well out there. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, uh, but I am, I, I, I just feel like I've been battling the uh, potential cold and flu this entire school year. And I've got to tell you, just my own personal opinion, you know, since the onset of COVID, since I, you know, received COVID, I don't think my my uh, immune system is as stellar as it used to be. I used to pride myself on my stellar immune system, and I think COVID has taken it down a notch. You know, so again, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but it's there. It's there. But, my friends, I have a healthy supply of Cofix RX throat navel, <laughs> navel spray. It's not a navel spray. I don't know why I nasal. It's a nasal spray. And uh, kids, I just, I, I use it. I mean, I go after it. And I'm telling you, uh, my anecdotal uh, advice is the Cofix RX uh, bails me out. It bails me out every single time. Now, you know, I'm I'm loading up with vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and, you know, magnesium and, you know, all the other good stuff. But Cofix RX, I'm just telling you right now, go to americaoutloud.shop and uh, use coupon code OUTLOUD and you will get 25% of your entire order when you're buying the um, the Cofix RX throat and nasal spray. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic product. Look, I'm not just saying that. Uh, I, I, I I use it and I use it regularly. You know, I, I feel like I work in a in a in a petri dish. I'm surrounded by little kids sneezing and coughing, and you know, they all want to come up and you know say hi to me, and they all want to high five me, and they all, you know, when they see me in the hall, it's you know, it's like they're seeing the president. The president has entered the building. Uh, that's just the way the little kids are. You know, I'm I'm I guess I'm a big deal around there. Not so much to the adults. <laughs> I'm not a big deal to the adults. The little kids love me though. So uh, I've got to fight the uh, the petri dish that I'm in, and I, and I do. I fight it with with Cofix RX. So that um, you know, get you know, make it part of your your regimen if you want to stay healthy. I hope that you are. I hope that all of you are staying healthy. I hope that you're finding a level of sanity just in this chaos. Uh, I mean, look around. <laughs> we we live in a very chaotic time. I mean, pull up the news. Okay, just pull up the news. Uh, here's here's a headline. Despite loss in South Carolina, Haley resists pressure to quit. Uh, all right. Uh, she got trounced. Uh, I mean, she got it handed to her, but yet I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay at it. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to win. Uh, okay. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. The next headline, a host of notable COVID-19 vaccine adverse events backed by evidence. Uh, you know, that's just, that's a mess. That entire pharmaceutical industry right now is a mess. Uh, next headline, former Panama border chief says UN is behind the chaos at U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, you know, UN and, you know, Joe Biden. Uh, again, I've not read any of these articles. I'm just looking at the headlines. 
the money machine behind progressive election efforts. It's just, it's just chaotic. Uh, rise in mail-in voting, a convenience or pathway to fraud? Well, of course it's a pathway to fraud. Uh, there's just there's just a lot of chaos surrounding us. We're in the middle of it. And and I hope that you're finding some some solitude. I hope that that you're finding some some sanity in the middle of it. You know, um, I hope you're finding truth in it. Uh, we talked about Plato a little bit last week. And Plato believed that there was a truth and that it was knowable. And, you know, we we talked about this notion that there is a truth and it's knowable. And Plato was up against people in his day. That I, and again, we talked about this. They were called the wise ones. The word is sophist. They called them sophists, which in Greek means wise ones. And, you know, it's ironic because they did not have wisdom. They manipulated their audience through emotion. They did not believe that there was a truth that was knowable. They believed everybody had their own truth. They believed truth, eh, it was relative, you know, depending on your own personal situation. What's your life experience? What's your history? What's your culture? That's your truth. That That's where your truth comes from. And he, um, you know, Plato uh, was the exact opposite. He said, no, there is a truth and, and the truth is knowable. And this really needs to be our focus. That's pursuing truth that's knowable. This is this needs to be the the foundation of the education of our of our children, the students throughout the country. This is this needs to be the foundation. Now, the other day uh, I talked about a story out of Minnesota where a group of Muslim mothers were upset because. In second grade in this school district in Minnesota, I don't have the article in front of me, so I don't remember the exact name of the district. Um, but this in second grade, this school district had their second graders reading a book called My Shadow is Pink. And it's about uh, a little boy who likes to dress up like a girl. And these moms, these Muslim moms were upset about this because it doesn't it doesn't jive with their religion. You know, their their deeply held religious beliefs are that the boy is a boy and he needs to be taught how to be a boy. He doesn't need to, to be taught how to, um, you know, put on a dress and claim that his shadow is pink. This is a textbook in the second grade. And the article went through other, other textbooks uh, you know, in in elementary classes, this this is this is different from what education used to be. You know, children used to read great books, and, and that, my friends, is the point behind behind a classical education is is the great books. These are books that. Um, uh, let's see. I've got an article here. This article. I think this is out of Epic Times, and it's entitled Becoming Heroes, One Book at a Time. Great books can serve as mentors, therapists, and friends, encouraging and inspiring us in our times of need. This is the point of the great books, and this is why 
the teachers of old had their students read these books about about individuals, individuals who who are great. There's a poem called "The Truly Great," written by Stephen Spender uh, in some time in the middle of the 1900s. He wrote this. Listen to the first line. It says, I think continually of those who were truly great. That, that's how the poem opens. The, the, there's something about thinking continually of those who were truly great. This is why it's important, in my opinion, that our elementary students read books about people that are truly great. You know, not about some little boy who wants to wear a dress. Now, I get it. You know, this school board member in Minnesota, she's upset. She's crying because these Muslim moms don't want this book in their classrooms. And this school board member who is a lesbian, her and her her wife have a little boy. And they want their little boy to, to read about this. And they're upset because others don't want their children to read about it. And, and she's of the opinion that because it's their lifestyle, everybody needs to read about it because so the little boy can, you know, can, can feel at home. You know, they would not have that, that same, she, the school board member wouldn't offer that same courtesy to the, the Muslim moms. You know, at that point, they could have very well demanded, well, we need to, to read a book about the importance of the Muslim religion. You know, because that's what we teach our kids. You're teaching your son something, and we're teaching our 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 children something. How come we can't have that? You know, that religion. The same with with a Christian mom. You know, a Christian mom might you know, could have the the same argument. Uh, well, that's you know, you you can teach your own child about your own upbringing and about your own family and your own heritage, but there's something about the great books. And there's something about thinking continually of those who were truly great. Uh, it's it's different from your your own experience and 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 what you're going through. You know this this mom on the school board who wants her son to learn about wearing a dress. Okay, you know teach him about it at home. But at school, let's let education uh, be be something more. Let's let it be something deeper, something richer. The poem continues. It, it, it says, I think continually of those who were truly great, who from the womb remembered the soul's history through corridors of light where the hours are sons, sons, S-U-N-S, endless and singing, whose lovely ambition was that their lips still touched with fire should tell of the spirit clothed from head to foot in song. This poem is about, it doesn't really name who the truly great individuals are, but it talks about a fire that, that burns within this type of individual. The, the last stanza of the poem says, the names of those who in their lives fought for life, who wore at their hearts the fire center. Born of the sun, they traveled a short while toward the sun and left the vivid air signed with their honor. So while the poem doesn't doesn't specifically list who the who the great people are that the author continually thought of, 
it describes them as being these individuals that just have this burning fire inside of them. It, uh, it, 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 it describes them as people who in their lives fought for life. That's the verbiage. The names of those who in their lives fought for life, who wore at their hearts the fire center. They've got this burningness in them. Burningness. Has that, did I just make that word up? They, uh, you know, something, something is, is alive and a flame burns bright inside of them because they have things worth fighting for. This is, this is really who the great people are. There, you know, today is, oh yeah. Oh, it's anniversary day. It's an anniversary day. We, we can go to history class real quick, can't we? February 27th. Uh, what's important about February 27th? On this day in 1860, in New York City, Abraham Lincoln gave his Cooper Union speech, which helped him gain national recognition as an opponent of the spread of slavery. If you have not read the Cooper Union speech, it is a history lesson extraordinaire. It, I mean, Lincoln, it, it, he gives a history lesson. Uh, you know, the speech is about, um, he, he, he carefully uh, crafts and, and examines the views of the 39 signers of the Constitution. And in his speech, Lincoln notes that at least 21 of them, which would be a majority, believed Congress should control slavery in the territories rather than uh, allowing it to expand. And the the, the speech is fantastic. Uh, I encourage you to read it. If you're a homeschool mom uh, or dad, uh, I will link this speech actually uh, in my show notes, or you can just Google it. Just Google Cooper Union address, Abraham Lincoln, and pull it up. Uh, this is a this is a, a history lesson in and of itself because in the speech Lincoln provides a history lesson. But I want to read a quote to you from somebody who was at the speech, uh, an eyewitness. This is taken from an article. Oh, where is this article from? This is from AbrahamLincolnOnline.org. All right, so. Uh, th this this article quotes this this uh, eyewitness that says an eyewitness <clears throat> that evening said, "quote When Lincoln rose to speak, I was greatly disappointed." <laughs> I mean, that's uh, you know, when you rise to speak and and the eyewitnesses are greatly disappointed, that's not a good start. He was tall, tall. Oh, how tall! And so angular and awkward that I had for an instant a feeling of pity for so ungainly a man. That is, uh, that's quite a description. It's unfortunate. However, once Lincoln warmed up, his face lighted up as with an inward fire. Did you catch that? Lincoln is, is, is one of the, the great men. He is, uh, He's one of the truly great. And this poem, the first line of it is, I think continually of those who are truly great. Lincoln is one of the truly great. He's got this fire at his center, at his core. And this guy here, this eyewitness in the audience during the Cooper Union address, 
makes this statement. His face lighted up as with an inward fire. The whole man was transfigured. I forgot his clothes, his personal appearance, and his individual peculiarities. Presently forgetting myself, I was on my feet like the rest, yelling and cheering this wonderful man. Because they recognized this burning fire in Lincoln. And Lincoln eloquently could describe, yes, it's true, the framers of the Constitution did not want the evils of slavery to expand. And this is why that very summer when they drafted the Constitution, they drafted the Northwest Ordinance that would govern the territories that would become Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois. And they made it, they enacted it, they made it law that slavery could not be a part of the Northwest Territories, that once these states became states, they could not have slavery. And this is Lincoln's point. He's saying the federal government has the authority to control slavery. Uh, and and the founders the founders wanted it controlled. They did not want it to expand. The individual states that had it, you know, they had it, and there wasn't anything that could be done in that moment. But the founders did not want it to continue. This was Lincoln's point, and he lit the audience up. He lit them up. The uh, the yelling, the applause, the cheering, and they saw on his face lighted as with an inward fire. This is, ah, this Lincoln's part of the truly great. He's part of the truly great that needs to become uh, central to to American history. Uh, and, and I know in, in a lot of places it is. In a lot of places, you know, Lincoln is central to American history. But in a lot of places, this truth is under assault. And it's being twisted, and it's being manipulated, and it's being clouded, and it's being loud, lied about. So it's 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 not the full truth. It is a portion, and it's twisted and distorted to to make it seem that it's something evil. Uh, I think in order for us to to really pursue truth, I mean, it's knowable. Plato said it's out there. It's knowable. I think we have to think about the truly great, and that 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 means great books. We have to dive into into some great books. All right, I'm up against it. I'm going to pick up this other article here on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Often, there are no symptoms, but left unattended, we become inundated with one health problem after another. It's time to fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar that you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Developed by world-renowned scientists and backed by 15 years of research, Heal Right is effective but it's also delicious and works without additional diet or lifestyle changes. Step out of the statistics and use food as medicine. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OutLoud for 20% off. Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. 
Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can find us here Monday through Friday at the 2 p.m. Eastern time slot. And we are grateful that you are listening. No matter how you're listening, whether iHeartRadio, perhaps on the uh, world-class media player at americaoutloud.news, or my favorite way to listen, download the app for your Android, your iPhone, your Alexa, and you can listen to every show live on the app, or you can pick it up the next day or the day after or the day after and wherever you find your podcasts, no matter. We're just happy that you're on board. Congratulations on being one of the smart ones and making it to the Dean's List. Okay, uh, so this article is entitled Becoming Heroes One Book at a Time. It is written uh, by Jeff Minnick for the Epic Times. Epic, Epoch, I'm not sure. I'm going to say both. Epic, Epoch, we're going to go with both. Uh, the, The subtitle is Great Books Can Serve as Mentors, Therapists, and Friends, Encouraging and Inspiring Us in Our Times of Need. So, huh. I read you the poem entitled The Truly Great by Stephen Spender. And the first line said, I think continually of those who were truly great. And there's something about thinking about great people and reading about great people. And and the author here of this article, uh, Jeff Minnick, says that these great books can serve as mentors, therapists, and even friends. Uh, And and it's true. Uh, You know, you can go back to a book uh, you know, you can open it up. What's the uh, what's the old cliche? A book is a gift you can open again and again. Uh, it's just like an old friend. I mean, you can go anywhere in the world with this old friend, uh, and you can learn so much. And there is there is so much truth to be uncovered in exploring the truly great in the great books. So Minnick says, uh, some of us undoubtedly treasure the books we read in our childhood and adolescence about heroes, particularly those in the American pantheon. Teddy Roosevelt, Clara Barton, Daniel Boone, and scores of other famous figures fired up our imaginations, bred the desire to live honorably and do great deeds, and perhaps sparked a lifelong passion for history and biography. There's something about about reading about people that do great deeds that make you want to do great deeds. And that's why the, the poem is, you know, starts out with, I think continually of those who were truly great. We have this fire burning inside of them. The writer of the poem, the, the poem thinks about these individuals who have this fire burning in them because the more we think about them, the more we will want to to also be like them. All right, back to minute. He says, the lives of some of the stalwarts who inspired me in boyhood, Robert E. Lee, Roosevelt, and T.E. Lawrence, known popularly as Lawrence of Arabia, 
they come immediately to mind and they've remained a part of my reading as an adult. So here's my question. How many of you that enjoyed reading as a kid? Do you still, you know, read these, these, these read about these great individuals as an adult? Has it stayed with you? My prediction is it has. For, for those of us that, that loved reading, enjoyed reading as a child, I, I think it probably stays with us. To those, the years have added names such as G.K. Chesterton, Booker T. Washington, and in particular, Winston Churchill, with half a dozen biographies of that English bulldog on my bookshelves. I can't get enough of, of Churchill lately. I, I, I feel like... Um, I am I, I'm I'm going about collecting Churchill books that I just I want to dive into. Oh, there's just not enough time to dive into all the books that 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 we want to dive into. All right, back to the article. What's the point of thinking at all of those who were truly great? What's the point here? Why would we do this? Why do we spend time thinking about those who are truly great? Other than acquiring some knowledge of history. What good will a fourth grader take from a biography of Abraham Lincoln, Jim Thorpe, or Amelia Earhart? Really? Well, I mean, what? all right. So, uh, you know, what are you going to learn from 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 you know reading about Earhart that that you're not going to you know learn about reading about someone else? What's the point here? What possible lessons might a plumber? Or a stay-at-home mom, or for that matter, a writer and a teacher like me, draw from a biography of Churchill, Frederick Douglass, or Abigail Adams? Well, the answer is an instinct for imitation. An instinct for imitation. This is why we should read about the truly great. Because we have this instinct within us to imitate this desire within us to emulate, to be like, especially elementary students. But, you know, they are, are going to read about things and they're going to want to be like that thing. All right. This is why we're, we're, we're at this, we're at this battle here in, in elementary schools and, and the public setting. Do we want our kids reading about little boys who want to dress up like girls? Or do we want them reading about Frederick Douglass? Abigail Adams, Amelia Earhart, Jim Thorpe, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you see the, the difference here? You, you, you see the difference in the quality of, of individual that we're reading about? You know, because part of education, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably making some people upset right now. Are you saying that little boy is not a quality individual? No, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying, uh, you know, He's not pursuing things of quality, uh, you know, wanting to be something that you're not, wanting to dress up like a girl because you think you're a girl, that they're, they're, that's not pursuing something of quality. It's not pursuing something of valor. It's not pursuing something of worth, quite frankly. It's you're pursuing a lie because as a boy, you are a boy. You can't be a girl. I mean, you can pretend, uh, okay. I guess, you know, go ahead, you know, pretend, pretend all day long, but you're never going to be a girl. Whereas here, while if you read about Lincoln, granted, you're never going to be Abraham Lincoln, you know, but it, taking upon the qualities that Lincoln had, 
you know, harnessing that that fire in the bosom that that Lincoln had about about causes that were worth fighting for, about having values of truth that were worth fighting for. Values of truth. There is a truth, and that truth is knowable. And, and reading about great men and women who understood the value of of knowing truth. And emulating that, this instinct for imitation is, is what drives us to want to, to, to have these types of books available to our kids. The word hero appropriately derives from the ancient Greek heroes. After all, it was the Greeks who celebrated and sought to emulate the great deeds done by Homer's warriors in the Trojan War. They also... Uh, uh, wanted to uh, to be like they 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 revered and they wanted to be like their own historical lion hearts as models for virtue and courage. The Spartan king Leonidas, the Athenian philosophers Socrates, uh, Plato, Aristotle, of course Alexander the Great were so venerated in their own time that not only their names but their words and deeds have come down to us. I mean, these are great great people, great men. This longevity of their reputation shows that, like the Greeks, we too esteem those who act with courage uh, and achieve greatly and live honorably, no matter their their their, their place and time. We, 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 uh, we, we just were drawn to that. We're, we're drawn to people that have the ability to achieve greatly and live honorably. And we want to be like them. Deep down in our hearts, little children want to emulate this. They want to imitate it. And like the Greeks, we seem possessed by some instinct to emulate those who would make us bigger and better than our present selves. We know this inclination exists by observing any four-year-old waving a stick for a sword while vanquishing his imaginary enemies. Uh, I mean, you know, I see it all day long. I see it all day long. Um, so in the seventh grade literature class last week, Mrs. Ball was out. So I'm taking her her seventh grade literature class. And they are reading the biography of Frederick Douglass, and, and there's this there's this one point in the in the book where where Douglass is talking about on Sundays he started this school, and and all the slaves would would come to where he was because they wanted to learn to read, uh, and Douglass set out to teach them how to read, and they and if we if we weren't really paying attention while reading, we could have just skipped over this part. But it's so important. And and I pointed it out because I want the students in my school to imitate it. I want them to emulate it. I want them to understand what was happening here. These, these slaves, men and women, would, would, would go to where Douglas was every Sunday because they had the, the day off. And instead of you know engaging in drink and games and you know celebratory stuff they wanted to learn to read they wanted to be educated they um they they understood the value of education 
And they had this longing in them, this desire to want to learn to read so badly and this longing to be educated so badly that they would risk their lives to do it. it you know, if they're caught learning how to read, they're going to be flogged. They're going to be beat. They, they longed for education so badly and so deeply. And Frederick Douglass longed for, for, for them to, to learn the things that he knew. That longing and, and that desire for, for understanding and education needs to be imitated. And, and and so we we read these these great books, so we can catch a glimpse of what it's like. So we have this understanding. Uh, I, I mean, there that that's one aspect that that's one small piece that you can pull from the biography of Frederick Douglass. That's one small little one small little moment. I mean, there's a there's a bajillion attitudes and 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 desires and uh and and qualities to imitate from Frederick Douglass and from his life that's one small little piece that that we pulled out of a couple of sentences and and we we talked about we spent about 10 15 minutes on on what it means to to want to desire education because you know, kids get up and oh, I got to go to school again. You know, and the older they get, the you know they don't want to go, and it just that you know there there seems to be this uh, this separation from having a desire to truly learn about things. I, I mean, look around, look, look around, you can see it. Uh, you know, we we've. We've said this over and over that the kids today are uh, presented with things that in my generation I was not presented with. I did not have the distractions that they have. I didn't have the distractions to education. I was good at, at my own distractions. <laughs> you know, I was good at, you know, just staring out the window and creating my my own imaginary world. I didn't need all the, the technological distractions. If I would have had the the tech distractions that, that the kids have today, I would have been a mess. Oh, it would not have been good. Uh, you know, so I get it. It's important for us as adults, those of us who are teaching the young, to instill in them a love for learning. And there is no better way to instill in them a love for learning than to read a great book like the biography of Frederick Douglass where he just had this longing and this desire to learn. And those around him had this longing and this desire to be educated. And they went to great lengths to be educated. This, this stuff is invaluable. Uh, the truly great. This is why we think continually of those who are truly great. Uh, the um, the article here in Epic Times continues where he says, unfortunately, this proclivity for imitation isn't always positive. An adolescent nourished by the biographies of American figures such as Sojourner Truth, Thomas Jefferson, and Daniel Boone will have a healthier worldview than the one fed a diet of rap music and pop culture or the teen who wants to copycat some unhinged influencer on social media.
you know, reading about Jefferson and 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 Douglas and Washington and Lincoln, Daniel Boone fills us with a healthier worldview than it does scrolling TikTok and watching TikTok videos and then making our own TikTok videos. No, look, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. You know, I'm all for it. You know, be entertained. But when entertainment begins to take the place of education, we're in trouble. And part of just reading these great books instills this attitude in the hearts and minds of our kids. It does. It it, it gives them this, um, ah, it gives them great things to, to go after. All right. We are coming up against uh, the break. Let's pick this conversation up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on AmericaOutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, AmericaOutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use CofixRx because it works. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and I feel like my voice is worsening. The the longer we get into this, I'm definitely going to need some Cofix throw spray when this uh when this last segment's over with but we must press on onward and upward my friends because 
this this conversation is one that um, it's just got to be had. We have to talk about these things. We spend a lot of time talking. You know, when I, when I say the 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 objective of this program is to shine the light of truth on the educational landscape, a lot of that is shining the light of truth in these dark areas of of evil. You know, where they're attempting to destroy education. Uh, and, and you know that's that's necessary. We've got to do that. But it's also important to shine truth on um on 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 ways that we can make education better. And this is part of that conversation. This poem entitled The Truly Great, where the first line is, I think continually of those who were truly great is is an important uh, conversation to have. You know, why should we think about those who are truly great? Why why should we read about those who are truly great? And it's so we can learn from them. It's so we can be inspired by them. It's so we can imitate them. So we, we know what to imitate. Um, of course, ours is the age of the anti-hero. All too often we point to uh, what's bad about our, our ancestors rather than their heroic virtue. We're too busy talking about, you know, what evil people they were. You know, that's the point of the 1619 project. Uh, they just, the, the, the project itself spends more time on, on talking about the scars and the slavery and um, the, that negativity of of all of that and and there's no 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 talk of the virtue of it there's no talk that that the declaration of independence uh, blazed the trail for slavery to to finally die uh you know we're too busy talking about the anti-hero uh, the current standing of our founding fathers is a prime example of this tendency. Their accomplishments, uh, their rectitude, their sacrifices, their courage, uh, all of that in this century has been eroded, broken down, worn away by charges of colonialism, slavery, racism. Many of our modern-day critics uh, besmirch these men as dead white males. Why do you want to learn about dead white males? As though William Penn, George Washington, and James Madison, and so many others have nothing to teach us. My friends, they have everything to teach us. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that they're dead. It doesn't matter that they're white. It doesn't matter that they're males. They have everything to teach us. Ah, oh, this wasn't always so. Plutarch's lives were intended as a guide for leadership and honor for young and old. It was a nuanced approach to the virtue and vice in famous men. John Adams, Jefferson, and other founders looked to these ancient Romans as exemplars for living. They followed Plutarch's lives. They read it. They understood the importance of studying the ancients studying great men from uh, from olden days. Lincoln, in turn, uh, you know, found his heroes in, in these men, 
and also in particular George Washington. There is um, there's an article here entitled Lincoln's Heroes and His Own Self-Confidence. Uh, born in 1809, Abraham Lincoln was a young man as the founding fathers of the United States were becoming old men. Several of them were already dead. Benjamin Franklin died in 1790. George Washington, of course, dies nine years later in 99. Uh, Gorson Thomas, uh, Jefferson, and John Adams, they live, uh, you know, they don't die till 1824, miraculously enough, on the same day, July 4th. That's such a great story. We're going to dive into that one one of these days. Uh, and, and, and Lincoln's well aware of all this, and he greatly admires the heroes of the American Revolutionary War and their struggle for independence, and he read about them. And this went a long way in shaping Lincoln's character. He he knew the stories. He read the books. Matter of fact, uh, I told you this story the other day where he borrows this book about George Washington. And he reads it and reads it and reads it. And he sticks it in between the, the crack of the logs in the log cabin. You know, it rains. Storm comes through. You know, the book's wet and ruined. He takes it back to the, you know, to the farmer down the road uh, from whom he borrowed the book. And, you know, he says, I'm sorry, you know, the, the book is ruined. And, uh, you know, how can I how can I pay you for it? And the farmer said, well, you, you know, come over here and, you know, you, you can work on my farm for a couple of days. So Lincoln, you know, worked off the debt, but he kept the book. You know, he basically bought the book and he read it and read it and read it. Uh, he referred to it from time to time. Just before his first inauguration as president, Lincoln mentioned the book that he had ruined as a child, but kept and, and read continuously. The book was called, by the way, The Life of Washington. He mentions the book and he compares the task of Washington securing our independence from Britain to Lincoln's own task of protecting the Union. So here Lincoln is as a child. He's reading this story about the life of George Washington. And it, he is he is imitating George. He's emulating him as a boy. He um he becomes on a state. Of course, this there's the story of you know George Washington where he cannot tell a lie. You know, this maybe this probably fictitious story where he chops down the cherry tree and all that. He can't tell a lie. Well, here Abe is reading this as a boy, and he becomes known as Honest Abe. And part of his honesty is demonstrated when he goes to, to bring this book back. And, you know, I've talked about other stories of, of Abe's honesty. Where does he get that? Well, he's imitating George Washington. He's fallen in love with, with, with the character that George Washington is. He's, you know, he understands he understands Washington was a man of greatness, the truly great. I think continually of those who were truly great, and Lincoln continually thought of Washington. And so now, uh, here he is, a grown man, finds himself in the same office as Washington and, and compares his task to the task of Washington. You know, where Washington had to secure our independence from Britain, Lincoln says, I, I, in a similar way, my task is to protect the Union from dissolution. 
Lincoln knew that to preserve the country was akin to perpetuating the original ideas, the original hopes of the American Revolution. He understood it. But he did so because he he grew he was by the way he was homeschooled and he grew up reading about great men ah and we're missing it today when we when we don't grow up reading about great men and great women in our history we are missing it um, I, I've got an article here and you know we're talking about reading some of the great books. And this, uh, this, this is um, an advice piece. It's called uh, Book Groups and Movie Nights, Getting Your Teen Reading. And the author of the piece gives three uh, points of advice on how to get your teens to read. The first point of advice is, is social reading. Uh, they, they, she says, here are the three methods that I found to encourage reading in the teen years. Number one, social reading. A few years back, my kid's debate coach sent out a reading list at the end of the season and suggested that debaters pick a couple of titles to read over the summer to encourage intellectual discipline. I saw it as an excellent opportunity to get the debate students together in the off-season and provide an accountability structure to summer reading. I started selecting the books I wanted to read. That first summer, we learned to send out a few key questions before our meeting to help get the discussion rolling. And while the adults often dominated, the teens made important contributions. And they came back the next year. And then last year, the students came to me with the titles they wanted to read and discuss. They took on some tough reading, and many of their parents eagerly joined in. So once a month between June in September, we started off with dinner together and a discussion. Every meeting had one or two discussion leaders, sometimes a person with some expertise, sometimes a parent just willing to read the book and lead the conversation. It's been gratifying to hear my kids reference something they read or discussed in these gatherings. My more reticent readers, uh, reader, my more reticent reader benefits the most, interested in sharing a body of knowledge with peers. Book groups of all sorts have been an important part of my life, and the chance to get my kids hooked young has proved rewarding. All right, so what if your kid's not on a debate team? You know, what if your kid doesn't enjoy reading? Well, um, you know, maybe they have friends that enjoy reading. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you maybe you just drop this idea out there. Hey, how about a book club? So last week, uh, after morning devotion, one of the students came to me and said, Mr. Bowen, uh, I'd like to start an after-school book club. Could I do that? And I said, well, absolutely, you can start an after-school you know, book club. How, how many kids do you think you know want to join? Let's get it going. She said, I don't know. Maybe you'd announce it tomorrow in devotion. All right. I announced it. You know, seven or eight kids right away. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, so this whole idea of social reading can really become inspiring. You know, now I'm going to want them to read, you know, a great book. Uh, you know, it's going to it's going to be something worthwhile. Uh, but it's my hope that then this becomes contagious. I would like to see every student in the building in a book club. Uh, I just I would I I think 
is it um you know is that too great of a goal to, to shoot for i don't know i don't know if it is or not but i think it's a worthy goal i mean let's go after it i would like them to be reading because they want to read i would like them to be reading for the enjoyment of reading and for the enjoyment of you know imitation whether they realize they're imitating or not i want them to read things to imitate all right her second suggestion is family reading uh, reading together as a family is harder to do as kids get older schedules align less frequently however we hold on to the tradition of reading a devotional book together as a family most evenings during lent and advent uh, though it occurs less often less often now we have enjoyed reading a book and then watching the movie version together oh this is fun my oldest daughter read The Little Princess and Jane Eyre. Uh, so we watched the movies together as a family. More of us got on board for the Lord of the Rings trilogy after I read it out loud. Ooh, now there's some exciting reading right there. My husband read and watched The Hunger Games with my youngest daughter, who loves the dystopian genre. Personally, I think we are due for some Jane Austen. Uh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I kind of like that. Let's let's find a book and then let's watch the movie. I think you should read the book first and then watch the movie and, and see and compare how the uh, you know producers and directors uh, you know how they told the story in the movie. Did they do a good enough job? Did they did they portray the characters well? I mean that would be a great discussion. You know what? I think I'm going to suggest that to the Waterbrook Book Club. I think I am. I'm going to suggest to them that they that they read a book and then watch the movie and let's let's have some conversation. You think they'd let me join? I, I would. I'd join the book club. I don't. I don't know that I would because I'd probably end up harpooning it. You know, they want it. It's just their own thing. They want to do it, which you know, more power to them. But I, you know, maybe they'd let me come in, especially if it was a movie I wanted to watch. You know, I mean, I would. I would definitely be on board with that. So any Waterbrookians, those of you that are forming the book club, if you're listening, send me an invite. Somebody invite me to be in this book club. I want to do it. All right. The third piece of advice given here, the third and final, is just simply individual reading. At the end of the year, my husband tells us how many books he read during the year and often provides a goal for the coming year. This really captured the attention of my daughter, who is less inclined to read. However, she is competitive by nature, and after hearing the value placed on reading by others, she established her own goals. Simply setting the example of carving out time is helpful in creating a culture of reading. Oh, so you, I love that, because you're going to have some kids that are more competitive in nature. And why not... Um, offer them a competitive challenge in terms of reading. Whether they like to read or not, if you throw out a competitive challenge, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna bring some kids in. Oh, I like that idea. All right, these are three good tips. And then uh, the writer of the article, which I will post in my show notes, the writer offers some book suggestions. Uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Les Mis by Victor Hugo, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. There, oh, there's a dandy. 
uh, discrimination and disparities, time of soul. All right, there's there's just a whole list here. 1984, definitely, you got to read it. 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. All right. Um, you know, so this is a, a, a good article. There's some good advice here. I will, uh, I'll put it in, 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 in my show notes. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, the important takeaway here is, you know, what are we reading? What are we, uh, what are we filling our minds and hearts with? Because what we're reading, we will tend to, uh, imitate we will tend to emulate. And this is why, you know, picking good things to read in elementary school is so important. You know, I said my second graders, <clears throat> they're reading Charlotte's Real. I don't have the list in front of me. They're reading Charlotte's Web. I know they're reading uh, the, the Emperor's New Clothes, which I love. I am so, uh, you know, just good quality stories and the things that they're learning, you know, and the things that they're taking away from what they're reading Oh, I'm telling you what, it's just solid. It is good, solid stuff. Uh, you know, some other articles I meant to get to, maybe tomorrow I will. Uh, this article that talks about Australia and how um, the steady decline in reading proficiency has reached another milestone with a million kids. Uh, I think that over a million cannot read at proficiency level, so... Uh, maybe we'll get that, uh, yeah, get to that before the, um, the the week is done and and some other stuff. But thank you for joining me. We are up against it. That's all the time we have today, America. I am grateful that you are part of this listening audience. Encourage your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.